In this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast, I got the whole crew in the building. Well, they're not actually in the building. We are in two separate cities for three separate locations. I got Leaf Tulane and Richard Stamen, and we are going to discuss the top international players that are playing in college basketball this season. This is a year like I've never seen before where there's so many guys from overseas that are playing. I think it's like seven guys on UCLA's team that are international students. So we are going to talk about the top international prospects in the 2024 NBA draft that are playing college basketball here in the States. Stay tuned. Right, big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. I'm your host, Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board and the founder of NBA Draft Junkies. And to my left, it might be to your right, I got Leaf Tulane, the guy that watches more college basketball than anyone else. And then I got Richard Stamen, the clip god, even though he is Mr. Mavs Draft. He's not a Clippers fan, but he is well-known on Twitter for posting clips and finding like obscure prospects that nobody's ever heard of. All right, let's get right into it. It is still summertime in the States, but basketball in Europe has already started. As I mentioned in the last podcast, there's been a few prospects that I've already played some friendlies. And there's a bunch of guys that are used to playing around this time. But now they are in the States playing college basketball. And we're just going to talk about the, the top international prospects. So my first question to you, Richard, is have you ever seen a year where there were so many international prospects playing college basketball? No, I, I think it was pretty remarkable when uh, I think his name's how to say it right is Jan Vide. Va, uh, Vide? I, I don't know how to say it exactly yep. right. So per, forgive the pronunciation that I've been talking about for like three years now. Yeah, I think we've seen him throughout the whole FIBA youth tournaments. And, you know, when he went to UCLA, I was pretty stunned. And then even last year, um, I'm blanking on the guy's name. He played. Uh, oh, man, this is going to drive me crazy. I, I for the life of me now cannot remember him. Uh, Abramo Konka, I think that's how he's or Chancha, yeah. something like that. He played in the Lithuanian League. He came over. That was kind of weird. And then the whole Jan Vide stuff can't, happened. And then you got a Demara. You got. I mean, even Izan Almansa playing in overtime lead now the Ignite, like all of these international guys started coming up and really just heading stateside. And it's been a massive just where did this come from? It was all it all hit once. It really hasn't been that gradual outside of a few guys. I mean, over the past few years, the only examples I can remember, remember Omer Yurtseven came over to North Carolina State. He stayed a while in college, but you know, generally it's it's been more rare and then boom, all at once it hit. So I think it's going to be really interesting and changes the way we evaluate internationally born players. Yeah, I, I got a game plan and I'm, I'm, I'm on it. But the NIL was a game changer. It was a big time game changer because for the most part, a lot of guys, are, they can make more money in NIL than they could make playing overseas. If a guy is playing in Spain where there's absolutely very, very little opportunities for development, it just doesn't make sense. So if you look at it, a lot of the guys that are coming over were were based in Spain from City Sissoko last year. He played for Basconia the year before. Then you got Adaimara. You got Vide, who was in the Real Madrid system. 
Uh, Mara played for, uh, I think it's, I think he played for Juven too. Anyway, a team that's in Barcelona. Um, there's just quite a few guys coming from Spain, and and the ACB in Spain is the top domestic league outside of the states, and then of course, but the domestic league is not the European league for those that are getting it confused. And there's just not a lot of developmental minutes. So I think you're going to see a lot of Spanish players or players that are playing in Spain coming over to the States. But then there's a few guys that are young and they're they're fighting for minutes on Barcelona and Real Madrid as basically like they're the back-end roster spots. So there's a few guys that did stay over. So this question is for you, Leaf, and you, you're the guy that watches more college basketball than anyone else. Do you believe that the success of Gonzaga and Arizona in recent years has, along with the whole NIL thing, but do you think that has been the main reason for so many guys coming over? Um, I think it's interesting because Gonzaga was doing it more so before NIL. Like they were pulling over players uh, one that comes to mind is like Philip Petrusev, who who was the uh, predecessor to Drew Timmy, and Drew Timmy was just too good, and they couldn't keep him off the court. So Petrusev went to Serbia, won the MVP, and now he's fighting for spots in the NBA. Um, and I saw him at summer league in Salt Lake playing for the Sixers. So uh, they had Philip Karnowski, they had they had numerous players, Killian Tilly, all these guys who were, and they fit a pipeline. What's, what's the Ayayay? Ayayay. Yeah, Joel Ayayay. Yep. Uh, the, the, I mean, you could go on and on and fill the Europeans for Gonzaga. Tommy Lloyd was their main recruiter. He goes to Arizona. You get a couple guys like Azulis Tubelis and his twin brother um, and a couple other players like Pella Larson went to Utah, then went to Arizona. So I think the West Coast International Connection, but that was like basically a pipeline made by Tommy Lloyd and then became more popular, showed it could work at two different places. One was Gonzaga when they were still a plucky upstart before they became basically like a new blood as opposed to a blue blood. And then at Arizona, they were able to maintain success doing the same thing. So UCLA is the one that I'm I'm looking at most heavily. I mean, Jan Vita, um, they have they have a couple other players that'll play roles. And then Ade Mara obviously could be a potential lottery guy. And so I'm very curious to see how UCLA plays in Mick Cronin's gritty, tough style that he always implemented when he was at inferior teams like Cincinnati, that they were backyard brawl type of teams. And now he's got the talent to recruit at UCLA, the level to have that, um, that, that power to have whoever he wants. And he goes international and see how they play. So I, I think this will be the actual litmus test. I don't think that Gonzaga is a fair like thing to equate to because they were the only team cornering the market. And you haven't really seen anyone in the ACC go to Europe. You haven't seen anyone in the Big 12 go to Europe. You occasionally see like a shooter um, in, in those. But but this will be the first test to me to see if it's a likely scenario. And I think it's because of the success that Mick Cronin's willing to try it. But I'm not quite ready to say that it's it's going to be a successful experiment with or without NIL. Yeah, I heard something. This is just someone, someone that I respect made the comment that Despite his success at UCLA, there are some UCLA fans that aren't fans of Cronin because they want like a West Coast style. They they want they don't want that gritty style basketball, which is not really known. Basically, they're saying that he's a Midwestern coach. His game or his style more so fits like the Big Ten than the Pac-10. And I mean, there are some people that are like, well, that's where that's where they're heading now. Yeah, which which is crazy, <laughs> but there are some people that 
have said to me that as soon as he gets in a little bit of trouble, they're going to look for a coach that plays like that, that honors the whole UCLA history and so on. But yeah, I, I never thought of it till you just said it, that they are going to the big, the big 10, which is so, so weird to me. All right. For me, the player that made me realize like, okay, this is about to change things was Baba Miller coming from Real Madrid last year. And I thought that, and I understand that he had some, some difficulties, you know, with the whole BS thing where he got suspended for 16 games for $3,000. Honestly, I thought that when he did play, I thought he was somewhat disappointing, but for you, Richard is, is he your top international player that is playing in college basketball this season? Is he your top prospect? No, I, I got to go with Jan Vida. I mean, I think it's, I think it's him for me. I, I just, I really love the way he controls the game. Uh, I think he's just kind of a modern guard. Also, you know, a Mavs draft. He's from Slovenia. I won't deny. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But no, I think, uh, I think for me, he's also behind a day Mara. While Mara does have noticeable flaws, such as the the lateral quickness, I, I don't know how much of a shot he has as well, but the defense has some red flags, which as a big man, it's always going to be alarming. But the passing seems really promising. There's some unique skills to his game. And he's also big and can still block shots, make up for uh, you know some missed ground that other bigs can't. I think those are the two guys in front of him. And what about you, Leaf? Who is your top international prospect playing college basketball this year? I'd go with the day Mara. I think his upside is unparalleled by the rest of the international class. Uh, I, I think that if he hits to the level of where, what it's possible at seven foot three with and more of like a defensive anchor than most people at that size um, in terms of being nimble and a shot blocker, I, I think that's a uh, hard to top upside. And, and then I, I like Vita as well. Uh, I, I think he's got more to prove to NBA evaluators. Um, but because the international game, the NBA are, are not quite direct parallels, but I, I I always enjoy that type of player. So I am biased towards that side. So he would be my second one. Uh, I, I think I think Baba Miller, someone that I was really infatuated with last year, early, really early in the draft cycle. And I think his confidence got hampered, but because of the not able to play in games and the Florida State team wasn't very good. Um, so. I mean, you look at this class, you can make an argument. Five of the top 10 players will be international. It's just they don't all play in college basketball. So this will be a very talented class in terms of the European talent. Also, one thing, does Tyrese Proctor count for this? Because he would be my number one, personally. I yes, he's a I mean, he's Australian. I guess a lot of times we forget that the sophomores, after they've been here for a year. Right. But yeah, Proctor <laughs> would, would would be my number one. But yeah. I don't have Mara or Vida, and I'm big a big fan of Vida as the number one international prospect on UCLA's team. I think that Dembona would be the first one off the draft boards if it were up to me. All right, when we return, I want to talk a little bit more about a Dembona and UCLA, and then a few of the other international players that are playing here in the states. But let's talk about Fanduel because the NFL season is right around the corner. And right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets, guaranteed. Plus, all customers, all, A-L-L, customers who bet $5 will get $100 off the NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. 
Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use, and you can bet on everything from spreads to player props and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season with an offer you do not want to miss. FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL and locked on. Big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first, second, or your third listen of the day. We appreciate all of the downloads and listens. I was actually playing with the numbers. It's like 3 million downloads on NBA, the Locked On NBA Big Board as far as like the podcast. 3 million downloads, which is which is pretty good considering that we just really started. But all right, let's talk about Bona. He had... A good freshman season. I think that he may struggle a little bit this season because he missed so much developmental time this summer with his shoulder injury. Last time I talked to him, he said he won't be cleared to maybe October. I think that while his offense is very limited, I think with his I think he's like the safest bet out of all the prospects on UCLA. What are your thoughts on Bona? Starting with you, Richard. Yeah, I I liked Bona. I was a little bit shocked to see that he withdrew from the draft. I'm curious to see where he fits in, and not necessarily where he fits in, but I guess how all the parts fit at UCLA next year because that that front court's pretty loaded uh, with again him and Mara, and there's some similarities I think uh, just in terms of the space that they're going to occupy, and I am curious of how that's going to mesh. I think he's got a lot better foot speed defensively, for example, versatile, excellent in the pick and roll. Like you look at the modern low usage big man, Adembona might just be it. I, I have had questions about, you know, bad hands, how he can defend in the post and foul trouble and things like that. The questions, the two questions I really have are, can he just become more consistent on the defensive end without fouling? And then also, does he need to shoot to stick? Because some guys do, some guys don't, and I can't figure it out with Bona. I'm I'm on the fence on either way with him. Yeah, I had this conversation with someone that is pretty close to him. It was it was I didn't know the guy was really close to him. So of course, you know, I'm speaking my mind and freely. And my knock on Bona was, and it's unfair to him. And the guy he he made sense of it, but my knock on Bona was the first time I saw him play, he was 16. And he was playing with Alperin Shingun. And at the time, Shingun was a lot heavier than he is now. He he didn't move like he does. And Bona was just super raw. He was flying all over the court. And he was two years younger than everybody in the tournament. But I thought like, oh, yeah, he is the much better NBA prospect. And I even sat next to some scouts at this tournament. And people have heard me talk about this tournament before. It's the best international tournament I've been to. Franz Wagner, Alexei Pokashevsky, Pokashevsky, Garuba, Aldama on uh, the Grizzlies was in this tournament. Um, it was it was somebody else that I'm missing, but it was Ishmael Kamagai. It was so many talented players at the U18 championships. And the player that most of the scouts that I talked to at the time, they were saying Bona was the, the best long-term NBA prospect. And three years later, four years later, I don't, I mean, I can't see him being better than Franz Wagner or even being better than Shingun. So I was comparing Bona's development to Shingun's development 
And I feel like Bona is still like the same player, a little bit more polished. Washington Goon has turned into like, I mean, we've seen what he is, like this very gifted, skilled, low post scorer that can pass. And and I think he could be a 2010 guy somewhere down the line. So anyway, my concerns about Mara and Bona together is they're both fives, in my opinion. Adem Bona is a five in the NBA. How do you think they're going to play together this season, Leaf? And I know the Pac-10 is like your your area, so yeah. you're probably the expert to to give an analysis or prediction on this. I, I actually did a podcast on Locked On College Basketball today on the Pac-12 and the newcomers. Say, you, you cheating on us? <laughs> yeah, I, I I love me some college hoops, so I'll always talk some college hoops. Um, so I I think what I came to realize in doing some prep for that. And just general knowledge, the Pac-12's best position is the big. Um, there's a lot of hype around like Isaiah Collier and, and of course, Bronny and then all the buzz that's generated by those type of players with, with some uh, appeal and some cachet. But the best team's best players are pretty much all bigs. A Dembona, uh, a Demara, uh, Umar Balo, and Folly Dante, Brandon Carlson, um, you you can go through the list. I think there's eight centers until you reach like Eddie Lampkin and Fardaz Amac. Amac, for those of you who are college basketball f- sickos like me, know that he led for two years in a row the nation in rebounding. So like you, you're really getting deep. The reason I bring all that up is that I think it's more easily implemented to play two bigs uh, in the Pac-12 than it is for many other leagues because there's so many bigs in the conference. So I think they can play high-low, I think they can go more to um, Mick Cronin's roots of of physical basketball. They'll play slow. UCLA already played slow. They controlled pace well. They just scored through a power forward that's really like a two or a three in Jaime Jaquez, and he would go with ISOs in the mid post. This time, I think they'll be true more more true post ups and pass out of the bigs with Mara, and then they'll go high low to the athlete and Bona. So I, I don't think they'll be like a weird fit. I think there'll be a weird fit if they were to be on like an NBA court together, but in terms of college basketball and the landscape of the PAC 12, as well as just how Mick Cronin coaches and has coached for a long time, I think they fit better than they would in many like open court schemes that people have to be imaginative enough to think of when thinking, how do I evaluate this player? So I think you have to evaluate them separately, but I think they'll actually work fairly well together. All right, let's get back tomorrow. He's a guy that. I think his draft range is all over the place. And I pay attention to the different mock drafts and so on. I've seen him as high as like a top five pick. I've seen him in the lottery and I've seen him like late first round. For me, I had him right outside my top 30 just because I'm very concerned about the lateral quickness and just how he moves on the defensive end. I thought some of his lack of defending his space kind of got exposed a little bit at the this summer at the U19s. I always get the U18s and 19s mixed up. Where do you guys have Mara on your on your big boards or what range if you haven't done one yet? I've got him in the mid to late first round. Uh, roughly around like the 16 to 18. It really depends on the day for me. Officially the 16 I could drop him as low as like 20. I think I'd go about 10 to 20 as well. I'm, I've seen him play in person. He was at Basketball Without Borders, and I thought like that competition was pretty good. Um, I mean, there's a few guys that I think could be 
in in this draft I was at that tournament from um, Terry Darlin on the Ignite to Elliot Cadeau to the French kid T. John Salon. I thought there was a lot of talented talented players, and my knock on him at that tournament and it was it was more so like a camp, but they played a lot of five on five was. He just settled for a lot of jumpers. Like he took a lot of like mid-range jumpers. I didn't think that he in was he didn't like really dominate, but he is a player that I feel like and Ethan Almanza is another guy. I just believe that they benefit so much with those Spanish guards. I mean, whenever Spain plays, they have three or four like really gifted high level playmakers that know how to hit the role, man. And I think they greatly benefit. And so those two guys, I'm going to be watching to see how they or how effective they are without those guys. But with Lamar, I will say he is, in my opinion, the best passing big man in this draft. The passing instincts that seven, three are crazy. But he's a guy that I would put in my boom or bust category. Like he could be something really special or he could end up being someone that becomes like a, a, a liability on the defensive end. So here's my question to both of you. What makes Mara a better NBA prospect than Zach Eady? Now, college basketball, I think Zach Eady is the best college but what makes him a better is it the passing and the shooting upside i i think he's likely to be more fleet of foot um it, it'll be it's hard to evaluate in terms of like relative to competition uh because Edie's playing in a league there where there's a bunch of bruisers in the big 10 and so he like he looks like he lumbers because he's enormous. And then his job is so centric on like, hey, I'm going to be the anchor defensively and offensively. I'm just going to find the post, get to a right hand jump hook. So you don't see. And then he's a strictly, strictly drop coverage guy. And so so will Mara be. But he also is going to be playing with a Dembona. So I think there's going to be moments where you see him do some different things because Bona is a great rim protector as well. So I, I think. The reason that I would say he's got more potential is one, I think the passing he's got is very good. Two, I think there's some shooting touch. Edie can shoot it too, but you're never going to put someone that big away from the hoop. And and I think there's going to be enough recent influence of big passers. You mentioned Alperin Shangun, obviously Jokic, where they're going to say, maybe we can get this out of this guy. And he'll see over the defense and be a focal point of our offense. And if he shoots at a decent level, I think there's going to be enough intrigue based off that and his size and hopefully shot blocking instincts that it intrigues teams more than what you've seen as a known commodity from Zach Eady for years past. Yeah. And I'll push back a little bit too on the, I mean, I think actually Edie's better laterally on defense just because I, I think what we saw at the combine, I mean, all three of us were there, even just his, um, even just his pro day practice that we all saw, like, I mean, he moved very fluidly. Right. And I think he's much more fluid on the defensive end than, than Mara. But to answer the question, I think it's more Mara's younger. Zach, he's about to be a senior. And the, like, like we've said the passing, like it's just that era, right? We just saw Jokic win a title. Jokic has won several MVPs and finals MVPs. He's what one now, three of them, I think in a row, one or the other. And I think that like just influence is going to be really easy to say, let's just take the passer. He has a strong feel for the game. 
So it's a combination of those things for me. Yeah, I mean, I think that comparing him to Shingun and and, and Jokic, I, I get it. I think the biggest difference between those guys is they were naturally strong. Mara has a ways to go. Like he, he's like a player where it looks like his lower body is stronger than his upper body. And so I, I think that I think he's going to end up shooting a lot of jumpers this year. I think with with sharing the court with with, with Bona, I think you're going to see him take a lot of short corner or elbow jumpers. And I wonder how much is that going to impact his his um, efficiency. All right, I wanted to go back to Baba Miller. Do you? Are you just counting last year? Like you know what that that just did it. That that was not who he was because of everything that happened. Or are you? Do you still have your Baba Miller stock? Because I'm torn personally. I'm torn on. Is it more so the the idea of what he can be, or is he? someone that is just really, really naturally gifted, but we don't know exactly what he is. For me, it's, I, I think I'm keeping it in mind what happened at FSU, but trying to keep an open slate, right? Almost just a fresh start blank slate where we saw he was productive in Spain with Spain in the, in the U uh, 19s. Like you said, it's confusing me too. And I think it's more, you kind of just have to, remember it but also forget it at the same time keep it in mind and use it as a reference point probably towards the end of the draft cycle and go let's see what he improved on what stagnated and what got worse i'm leaning towards a little bit of a tabula rasa you you get a you get to see what, what he can do a, a clean slate basically uh, um, you got to spell that out so I can put it at the at the T A B U L A space R A S A spelling bee right here. Um, Clearly, you now, a lot of those. <laughs> no, I, I I lost. I, I misheard a guy once. It really uh, irritated me. I, I I thought he said a different word, and I was like third grade, and I was in the fifth grade one. It was it was a bad loss, to be honest. So there's an asterisk by you. Really didn't lose. You just didn't hear correctly because that's uh, that what was, I've I should I should I should have asked a clarification question in, in retrospect. You and Steve but, um, with, with these words that are just <laughs> nowhere. If you're I've, on YouTube, <laughs> you can see Richard cracking up, but. Y'all yeah. broke me. <laughs> I'm sorry to cut you off. I was just thrown off. That's a word yeah. that wasn't in it's, my vocabulary. But I'm going to use it at some point. Yeah, no, please do. Please do. Um, <laughs> I, the reason I would like to give him a tabula rock, a clean slate, is because I, I think the way he was implemented into Leonard Hamilton's team was not a way that is conducive to success when you're rusty. Like, he wasn't allowed to play with the team much. And then you join a team that was slightly dysfunctional, and now he's not able to play with the ball in his hands very much. He's playing with a lack of confidence that that leads you to like have a poor rhythm in a game. And, and I think that that team was not very good offensively to begin with. They played through Matthew Cleveland, and then they would go through Mills, and they went through these stretches of just, just dry spells. And uh, I don't think Baba Miller's necessary. Like his skill set is he can play with the ball in his hands. He's big, he's long, he's, he's athletic, he can play defense. But he wasn't able to play attacking closeouts. He wasn't able to play in rhythm and show his full repertoire of of moves offensively. Defensively, there was flashes, 
But I also think you lose confidence defensively when you haven't played much and the team wasn't very good and there just wasn't as a lot of buy-in. So if the team's a little bit better, I think he's going to be the reason for it. Uh, and that would help his stock just because I think a lot of evaluators see toolsy players and and then they're conducive to winning. And I think the like Olivier Maxon's prosper. Marquette wasn't that good on paper. They had the biggest player of the year in T- Tyler Kolek, but he's not an NBA guy. The reason that they were able to take such a strides uh, on uh, defense in particular was Olivier Maxon's prosper. He wasn't the guy on their team. He was probably fifth on your scouting report. But the reason that they succeeded was because he was a toolsy player that contributed to winning. I think Baba Miller can have a similar rise. Are you concerned about the shot? I'm concerned with the release being so low and the percentages, whether it's the free throw percentage or the shooting percentage. To me, that's the swing skill. And if he's not able to shoot off the ball, then you have to play him on the ball. And if you're, do you, I don't know if he's going to get the freedom to play on the ball. So that's like one of my biggest concerns because Again, like the 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 percentage, that's one thing. But 30% from the free throw line, I believe, that's what he shot last year. And then I think it was 57, which is, I mean, significantly better, but 57% this summer. And I think that with his shot being so low, like, like he shoots it at his waist, I think he turns an open shot into a contested shot because of the release point. So that's my concern. Do you have any concerns? I saw you nodding your head, Richard. Do you have any concerns about the the shooting? Yeah, a ton. I mean, I, I'd really just, I'd almost be shocked if he was uh, anything that resembles a shooter. 25% from three this last year, 30% from the line. And like you said, 57% in Spain, in the U19s. There's just been no sign for me and the mechanics don't check out. So I'm pretty out on the jumper. Uh, I think he's someone who either completely redo it and maybe it works like some guys kind of like we've said OMP is a good example but um I I've, I think for the time being I'm pretty out on it see how he does without it and just how he can impact the game without it the one thing I'd add is, is I think a lot of the shooting woes I can attribute to rhythm but the form does concern me and, and the release point like a reason I think Julian Strother is less good of a shooter than some of his peers that were regarded as very good shooters statistically is because his release point is lower and I know that's comparing very good shooters to other very good shooters but I think that Baba Miller significantly hampers his upside as being a guy who can play a three and D at the next level because I think the athleticism checks out the the intrigue with the ball handling checks out but if he can't shoot, then how are you going to play him? Because I don't think he's a I don't think he's a guy who's going to have the ball in his hands at the NBA level. He could at Florida State, and this is a rebuilding year for Leonard Hamilton's troops. So I I I am a little bit of a pause there. I just I like to buy the toolsy players because typically when when I see someone I'm like wow this guy has a lot of attributes that are good, and then they find a role in the NBA, I, I kick myself if I don't like them. So I'm I'm kind of staying on the bandwagon there. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to be paying attention to just this just shot in general and maybe I need to just go back and watch like some of his past film because I the shooting was not really a concern for me coming into last season and I mean I did have a little bit of concern about the low release point but I thought hey he's a good enough shooter to where you know he, he can at least be respectable but I mean, I, I can't think of the time I've seen a wing that is a projected first round pick where he had 25 30 shooting splits or was it 30 no 25 30 shooting splits from deep and the foul line 
Well, that wraps this episode up, man. We're going to have to do it again. We didn't really get a chance to really touch on Tyrese Proctor. There's quite a few other guys that we missed out on. And there's a couple guys playing at Pitt that I think have the chance to sneak up on draft boards. It's some twins from Spain, and we'll talk about them in another episode. But once again, thank you, the listener, for making the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. And in the next episode, we can get everybody on the same schedule. We will run this back and we will finish talking about the international prospects that are playing in the States in the 2024 NBA Draft. Once again, it's Rafael Barlow with Leaf Tulane and Richard Stateman. And we are out.